we rolling? We are now rolling. Yes. Alberta <laughs> Filmmakers Podcast. Me, 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 me. Okay, anytime. Hello, and welcome to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. I'm Scott Westby. Hey, Scott Westby. I'm Matt Waterworth. Hi, Matt Waterworth. Uh, we are Full Swing Productions, and every episode we bring you news, tips, and interviews in the film, video, and digital media landscape sure of Alberta. Hence the name, Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. That's right, yes. Uh, and I wanted to just say a, a thanks again. Uh, it seems like we're raising awareness for the podcast. Um, super celebrity Alex Mitchell seems to have uh, raised some more people's attention to the podcast, which has been great. So thanks to the new people who are finding us, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, and thanks for the the sweet, sweet uh, iTunes five-star ratings. Yes. It's pushing us up and keeping us within the top 10 on New and Noteworthy yeah, on iTunes. Yeah, we stay up there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah all the time. So uh Stoked that you guys are digging this. Um, and of course, if you have any suggestions on how to improve, uh, we'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. Yes. So, Matt, mm -hmm. what happened last week? Apart from... Many things. <laughs> the Oscar noms. The Oscar, yeah, yeah, I was actually up. I, I woke up yeah. at, at 6.30 and, and I didn't watch... Well, I did watch some of them, but it mostly was Twitter. Um, and The Revenant was nominated for, for 12 Oscars, which yeah. is... So it's leading leading the pack. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. And of course, if you don't know, The Revenant was shot right here in Alberta. Um, according to the, the director and actors, it was some of the harshest um, climates on mm -hmm, Earth, mm -hmm. uh, or as we call Kananaskis country. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's great, guys. Um, sorry that it sucked making yeah, it, but yeah, yeah, uh, it's still it's still good um, exposure for Alberta. Indeed, regardless. So. Yes. Hopefully uh, your hard work will pay off. It doesn't. It doesn't justify the abuse that seems to have happened. But, but the the biggest conversation right now about the Oscars is um, the 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 whitewashing of yeah. it and and the, the snubs specifically. Um, the Oscar so white hashtag happened last year, right? And uh, this time around, there's you know ten uh, no twenty actors nominated right. yep. in various acting roles uh, or uh, categories, and not a single person who is not white. Right, and this is the second year in a row. Yes. that this has happened yeah. so what do we think about this why think, <laughs> let's let I, I know you have the answer to this why is this happening or why do you think oh, it's I, don't, I don't know if i have the answer but i think it's going to be funny when chris rock comments on it mm -hmm. <laughs> since he's hosting but uh, uh yeah why is it happening i mean what i like to say about last year's oscars is that in my opinion whiplash was the better movie um but birdman won and what's interesting about that is is that it's uh, the the uh, uh, academy is filled with people at that t at that time the stat I found was that uh, the average age of the academy member was 65 and I see that this year it's 63 or maybe one of those is incorrect I don't know but they're obviously on the on the older generation side of, mm -hmm. of the film industry and that uh, is a movie about a guy who had his heyday in the film industry and and is now trying to find um, a new uh, way to light up his audiences and, and, and kind of renew his, his star. And, uh, I think that's probably a story that 63 year olds, um, Guess, maybe yeah. understand a little bit more than a, than a kid who's yeah. like 19 and trying to be a drummer. So, um, when you consider who is voting for these things, I mean, it, it makes a little bit more sense as to who wins. It's true. It definitely is an old boys club. And yeah. I say boys too, because 76% mm -hmm. of the Academy is men. Uh, and 94% of the Academy is white. Wow. Yeah. Which is um, insanity. That is insane. So, I mean, it's not entirely surprising that uh, that there's a lack of representation for people of color and mm -hmm. women. Um, but what's shocking about it this year is that, I mean, like people, other people have made this observation, but it's, it's like, oh, but, but 
straight out of Compton got best screenplay written by white dudes. Uh, so I think the I think this year it's really really obvious that there are some major snubs who are not white people. Um, whereas last year maybe it wasn't as clear, or, or maybe that's not fair to say. But this year I feel like Idris Elba is a, is a lock. Yeah, he should have been yeah. nominated. Um, and I think I, we have a list here of some of the biggest snubs, and and there's a bunch that just kind of should have made their way. Yeah, yeah. I'm in, just find this article. I just I, like. Have you seen uh, The Big Short? Yes. Yeah. So Christian Bale. Yeah. Um, barely in that movie. I, I thought he was fine. He was fine. And he's not, he's not bad at all, no. but there are a million better performances. Yeah, but he was white in that movie, though. <laughs> oh, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah, he had the white yeah. edge. So um, there was a um, um, a marketing in a company called Amobi Brand Intelligence that uh, did a survey of all the social media conversation about uh, when the Oscar nominations came out. And um, the biggest snubs, according to them, Idris Elba, number one, Michael B. Jordan for Creed, and Will Smith for Concussion, right. all black men. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, films that were most associated with the Oscar snub were first Beasts of No Nation, second Creed. Right. Uh, and then third Carol, which brings up the, the feminism side of it, too. So mm-hmm. Creed, black star, black writer, black director. Uh, but the Oscars found a way to f- nominate the only white guy involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what I find interesting about it is is that Beasts of No Nation um, got snubbed when it was, yeah. nef- it was Netflix's Oscar right. play. Right. Yeah. Right. I think Netflix was trying to align themselves like or crush the content creation industry by mm-hmm. making oscar worthy content imagine the subscriber base saying that it's not a it's not a i mean I, I assume it was eligible but i mean maybe they see the emmys has obviously embraced netflix yeah but maybe the oscars are saying well that's tv netflix is like tv that was a tv movie we don't nominate tv movies yeah except i think there are certain things that you have to do to become eligible like play at a movie theater in la yes I think, I think and they did that beast of no nation yeah. observed all the rules yeah. of course they There's did like three screenings yeah so um it's a bummer and it's actually it's definitely uh, coloring how i feel about the oscars mm-hmm. lately mm-hmm. Uh, the past many years have yeah it's disappointing yeah so um yeah, I mean, there's so much to say about that, but uh, we yeah. could we could talk this. To well, that. and the other, and yeah, yeah, I, I, I think Michael Keaton also should have been nominated, another white guy, but his his performance in Spotlight was incredible, and that's mm-hmm. a great film that isn't getting enough attention. But who do you think should win Best Picture? Which picture should win, and and what do you think will? Um, I think I think The Revenant will win mm-hmm. Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't seen enough. I know people are going to hate me for not saying Mad Max because I think most people yeah, think yeah. that Mad Max should win. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen enough of them yet to say which one I think I, I right. hope will win. I think I've, this is the first time where I've seen all, I think all but one uh, this time around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but The Martian is actually kind of a, it might, it might do it. I, I think it's possible. It's just, I guess there's no nomination for Ridley Scott and Best Director. Right. So yeah, there's... that's my, that's kind of my tell. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, Mad Max, Mad Max would be incredible. Um, it won't happen. It won't happen. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I just watched The Revenant, and it's uh, yeah. I I guess I have to reserve judgment. <laughs> There's it's it's obviously a good movie. It's 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 very impressive filmmaking. Um, but I think I personally enjoyed Spotlight more than The Revenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the subject matter is insane. So, um, yeah, I, I would be I would be totally happy if the spotlight spotlight took it as well. 
Anyway. Let's get into industry news. Um, Speaking of the Oscars, here's some big news for Alberta filmmakers. Um, The Calgary International Film Festival and the Edmonton International Film Festival uh, have recently been dubbed the status of Oscar qualifying film festivals for short films. Which is amazing. It's awesome. Uh, And it means that this year's recipients of um, the Best of Shorts Award um, and any other shorts that win the festival will be eligible for Oscar consideration in um, those categories. So, of course, while it doesn't guarantee it will be nominated or even short listed um it puts you in the pool of contenders that will be reviewed by the academy um it's great especially for short filmmakers because it's pretty much impossible to get a theatrical run on a short film um and of course uh these festivals both put extra weight on alberta films uh, screening Mm -hmm. in their Mm -hmm. in their festivals so uh it's wonderful news so get get those great shorts uh in production and uh win yourself a a racist oscar (laughs) Uh, so, uh, in Edmonton, the Edmonton Film Prize uh, winners were announced, and the grand prize winner went to uh, Niobe Thompson, and I'm sorry if I'm getting your name wrong. Um, Niobe? Niobe? Maybe. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, for a film called The Great Human Odyssey. Um, and runner-up was Ava Colmers, who made a movie called 2.57K. Um and then it was uh, the little deputy, Trevor Anderson's uh, Sundance movie, that went to uh, that, that got second runner-up. So, congratulations to all those folks. I think they split um, a total of ten thousand dollars. Swag. Yeah. Nice. Uh, big news that happened last week: um, Chorus Entertainment is buying Shaw Media from Shaw Communications uh, in a two point six five billion dollar deal. Um, so this move shuffles ownership of 19 specialty TV channels like Global, Food Network, HGTV Canada, History, Slice, National Geographic, and Showcase. Um, it still is kind of pending approval from the CRTC and the shareholders. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that'll happen in March. But what it would do is turn Chorus into a major player in Canada's media landscape. Um, now, if you didn't know this, Chorus Entertainment is already owned by the Shaw family. Who owns Shaw Media. So it's not what? like, yeah, it's not like this hostile takeover. I didn't know this. Yeah, owned by the Shaw same Shaw bought Shaw? Yeah, so basically <laughs> what it is is they're kind of just shuffling the seats around. Oh, okay. Um, now, they are separate companies. They're both publicly traded yeah. independent companies. Right. Um, so they're basically, they bought it from themselves huh. a little bit. Um, but it does answer the question, how the hell is Shaw Communications going to pay for their acquisition of Wind Mobile? Right? And answers the strategic question there. Shaw is getting into the uh, ISP content delivery arm and Course Entertainment is getting into the content arm okay um, which i think is a smart move for shaw and not a great move for chorus um but uh we'll see so what does it mean yeah what does um, it mean for filmmakers? what does it mean for filmmakers so it means one less door to knock on which mm. is pretty shitty mm-hmm. um it could mean larger budgets for content that chorus produces um we'll have to see of right. course about that if that's yeah. actually um a real thing and it, of course it hopefully means they'll be looking at bigger ideas when it comes to developing Canadian content mm-hmm. um, but with the CRTC getting a bit more lax on CanCon rules um, I don't I can't see a way that it would be good for filmmakers that this has happened mm. um, but I mean it's just it's one of those financial the business moves where it's just acquisitions and, and people merging together and then departments basically coming together right so do, we'll see. Do you think it means we can get HBO now? I don't think that's what Damn. it means, no. But what it does mean, though, is that Chorus will become a major player along with Bell and Rogers, mm. hopefully, as well. So, right, right. I mean, that's that's a pretty nasty scene up there. Um, hmm. So hopefully one more player will kind of increase the competition. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, it is major news. Keep an eye on this story as it develops. And uh, 
yeah, let's move on. So who's our guest today, Matt? Today we've got Olaf Blameris, who uh, is awesome, uh, and he is teaching us how to uh, say his name properly right out of the gate, and I think I got it. Um, and yeah, we just talk about his amazing uh, VFX skills and uh, some of the stuff he's been up to, his journey as a filmmaker. Um, and we get into some really cool conversations about... Um, just kind of what it means to be a filmmaker and it, it was it was an interesting chat yeah. it was it was uh it got uh to some areas that we don't go to too often so i'm pumped to share it with everybody let's listen in unless you want to say something i did want to say what something. do you want to say <laughs> um just it's a it's a great listen especially for visual effects people right, people yes. looking to get into the visual effects mm -hmm, industry yeah. um because we're trying to focus on technical stuff now a little bit more so this is uh definitely a great technical discussion on how yeah. it's done yeah, you especially asked, asked him some really great questions um, that got him talking about that. And um, yeah, definitely, uh, if you are interested in going that route, this is a conversation that you must listen to. So enjoy. So the first thing I, I want to do is I think I need to apologize to you for probably butchering your name uh, <laughs> when I mentioned it in the news at, at some point when you'd won yep. the uh, Spirit of Alberta Award, right? Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank so, you. So correct the record for me. What, what is the proper way? The to... proper way to pronounce my name. Oh, it's always fun because I've always had this like 50% rule that like if you get within 50%, oh, yeah. I just let it slide <laughs> because for years I was always trying to correct people or say, no, not S, F. You know, like, I don't know how much mail I get to, like, Olag or Olas or right. things like that, but Olaf Blomaris. Blomaris. So, oh, that's Blomaris. way nicer. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It so. sounds nice because I always thought it was Blomaris, and that's just not that's Yeah, just and, not and nice. you know what? I don't even know if it was years ago when I was, you know, in, in junior high wrestling with my own name and my identity that I was like, how do I say my own name? <laughs> how, do I, how do I want it to sound, right? Because, like, all of my family pronounces my name very differently. Right. So the, uh, even I don't have like a staple. Well, you know, this is how you say hmm. it because, you know, South African, Canadian, different, you know, um, ages and like it's just all over the map. So I've just developed my own way of saying like this is what I would be happy with. But right. again, if someone even gets it close, I'm, I'm happy because I've also developed this like fear and phobia of pronouncing someone else's name wrong. Mm. So I am terrible with names because especially if there's any kind of difference in the, it's just brutal but i don't know how many times i've met someone and it's been like hi i'm steve and i'm like was it sean or steve and now for, <laughs> oh God, now no. for the rest yeah. of my life every time i see that person i say their name twice in my head trying to remember which one it is this is a great tip actually for networking uh, like, yeah. i have this problem as well i have a really hard time remembering names and i i mean i've heard stories especially in politics for people who are running for office that it's a better idea to just try to memorize the name of the person that you're talking to, then even listen to them, then, which is even, maybe a little too far. <laughs> well, there's always that repeating rule, right? It's right. like when you yeah. meet someone, repeat their name. I think it's three times. Just say it in so your head. Yeah, yeah. To say like, you know, hi, my name's John. Hi, John. Nice to meet you, John. Yeah. Or, you know, and then when you leave, say goodbye, John. Right. right, right? right, right. And, I mean, that's the hardest name to remember, John. Why mm -hmm. did I pick that? But uh, yeah, I, I, and I don't know if it's just the name phobia or for like a, a certain kind of face blindness or if my mind's always right. so preoccupied with other stuff that, mm -hmm. you know, I'll meet someone and then a few months later we're at an event and it's like, damn it, I've got to speak to this person. Yeah. I don't even know what they look like. I don't know what right. their name is, but I've met them like <laughs> yeah. three times. <laughs> so. Yeah, and being at a party at like BAMP, there's like 300 faces that you know and you <sighs> should remember and, yeah. and, and or you're trying to keep track of them. I, I, I do sometimes I'll just be like, Steve, 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 Steve in my head while they're talking. Yeah, and then you find out it's Sean. You're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this whole time. And now you're forever guessing. Yeah. I've had I've had some success um, categorizing names. So I met I met a Matt and I met a Mike last night, 
And um, so Matt was easy because Matt Waterworth was with me. And so I was like, okay, here's another Matt. And then there was a guy named Mike there. And I was like, hey, my brother's name is Mike. So this guy is also my brother. Yeah. Like, just like associate this the two people right. as yeah. close That's as you funny. can. Um, and it's done okay, but I still, I'm still looking for that magic trick to Yeah, to it's remember. just something. And then I'm also faced with the fact that it's not that it's easy to remember my name, but it's also very different. So yes, yeah. Well, so so people will glom onto that right. and be like, "Oh, it's a different uh, Olaf. I've never met an Olaf mm-hmm. before. That's really interesting." And then I'm like, "What was your name?" <laughs> right. So so is Frozen helping you or hindering you? Well, it, it, it's funny. Uh, like I've kind of had to you know tell the family like, "Okay, no more Frozen stuff." You <laughs> know, like because everyone thinks it's funny and I'm like you yeah. know what it is funny and it is awesome like I've got a frozen stuffed you know plush toy on my desk and things like that and it's definitely helped get my name out there so mm-hmm. there's less of the how what is that Gesundheit what did you what just yeah. happened and more right. of the like oh, oh like oh, the snowman uh, yeah. and you're like yeah but technically he's named after me because I'm right. not two years old right right yeah. <laughs> so you know it, it's definitely helped uh, I could have gone with maybe the hero have been named Olaf mm-hmm. as right. that would be pretty the, sweet yeah. you know really absent-minded <laughs> snowman he's but, got the best hey, song though the, whole the, the song is great and yeah. the character was great and you know it it's awesome and who's the so. actor it's jo- uh, uh josh josh gad josh, gad, is it josh yeah. Gad? Yeah. Yeah. yeah i love him just yeah. the best. i think he's awesome yeah, yeah. yeah. he no, was he he's in like the, the only show fx has canceled recently which was that show with billy crystal and him the comedians oh it's, yeah it's yeah, really fantastic seeing... it's too bad yeah anyway no. Um, so, so t- that's how you pronounce my name. There you go. All right. <laughs> can you say it again? <laughs> Olaf Blomeris. Blomeris. There's your sound bite. <laughs> I like it. You can even you can even cut into yeah. it when you intro. Right, you're be like, yeah. And now to bring it, Olaf, Olaf Blomeris. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know we were we were just on set yesterday. I was telling you, and, and uh, one question that we should maybe ask people more often is, and I was asking this of Kara, who shoots with us sometimes, um, was the first film you ever watched differently, which kind of for me, means when you started to get interested in the film industry and, and into yeah. the film world, and you started thinking about, oh, actually, I'm going to pay attention to how this actually got made. That is a just really, story. really mm-hmm. good question. Yeah, yeah. So what do you have one? You know, I, I, I don't know if I'm lying when I say it because now I've got to like try and think about mm-hmm. that. But I'd probably say the first movie I really dissected and tried to figure out was Fight Club. Oh, yeah. Well, because to me, that's that's the pinnacle film for me. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I kind of measure everything to because I've watched Fight Club, I don't know how many, 40, 50 times. And every single time I've watched it, I've learned something new yeah. about the film. Agreed. Whether it's through Agreed. commentary yeah. or just noticing something or being like, holy shit, I didn't realize that. I, it's the most rewatchable film Absolutely, I've yeah. ever experienced. I mean, a lot of films are phenomenal, but you know, you watch it once, twice, maybe three times, and then it's you're probably you're every time yeah. you're flipping through yeah. your Netflix or yeah, your own yeah. home movie catalog, and you're like, yeah, I've seen that, and you watch the whole movie in your head in five seconds, and right. you're like, yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that. Right. But Fight Club, I can sit down and truly enjoy every aspect of it from start to finish. So I would say that that was probably the first film where I was like. Okay, I want to watch that again. I got to see how this all kind of came together. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I think Fight Club's cool too because I think it's a different movie for different people. And so I think as we age and we we kind of enter into a new demographic, it it has a different message for us than I think it probably used to. Yeah, absolutely. Which is something that makes it timeless, right? That's uh, true of Fight Club for me. I mean, but it's funny, one of the first things we ever connected on was that we both said Fight Club was our favorite movie in in our interview at SAIT. But... uh, I completely agree. There's always there's always something new in in the you know, and Fincher's so good at hiding details in the frames of his of his movies. But yeah, literally, <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
mine i just want to say is is joyride which is an odd one like pretty obscure the remake or the i guess i don't know i mean the jj abrams actually wrote it a young jj abrams and, so are you, uh, is that the uh, I'm saying remake because I figured it was a remake the one with Paul be. Walker yes yeah, yeah. really <laughs> yeah which is it's not a good film I mean it's an okay film but uh, I bring it up because J.J. Abrams is super famous now and it seems yeah. like it's a cool one but there are some really cool things there's actually a scene where they're in a motel room and the killer's maybe in the next motel room and they're trying to listen to see if if the killer's like knows that they're there yeah. and they zoom in on this painting that has like this dark kind of storm in the painting and the painting has this lightning bolt that like flickers like it's real and and stuff like that i was like oh my god what a decision to make and and it's one of those things that i think filmmakers like to embed that some people will just dismiss and other people mm-hmm. will pay a little bit of attention to but main question is what was going on in your life around that time when you first saw fight club or started looking at movies differently and, and how did you get into the film industry meaning like was there a class or what was what was happening well I was originally going to, my my path was to become an architect. That's what I went to school oh, for okay. originally. And uh, all through junior high, high school, I I took design. And design design class took up like a lot of your time and your credits. Like even in your 12th year, you had to come in early, like two or three days a week just to kind of fulfill because it, it was like an extra oh, okay. class wow. outside of your classes. So I was always very embedded in the idea of, uh, design in an architectural sense. So I went to school for that afterwards. I went to the University of Manitoba for a year. Oh, okay. um, and it kind of ended up souring me because the, here I was, you're taking kind of a bunch of electives like Spanish, which I was terrible at because my teacher was just like speaking Spanish the whole time. I'm like, I thought this was intro. <laughs> <Right>. But anyways, <laughs> and then I did really well in all the architectural and design related classes. But the dean came in one day and we had watched Memento, ah. right? And it was my mind was like, like just mm-hmm. mushed mm-hmm. after that uh, so we watch memento and then the next class he comes in and he's talking about like what he does and the kinds of things he's working on and it's like this dam um plan that they're doing up in the north and they're you know um they're pushing people out of their homes and then they're not giving them what they want and he's like admitting to all this i'm like the hell like what is this industry or this idea or this yeah, yeah. thing that i'm going to become a part of and this guy's the leader and i was i really like sat back and was like is this what i want to do right. like do i i don't i want to design beautiful things for people to right. experience and it's like this doesn't sound at all like what i want to be a part of so i kind of sat back had some like really started thinking about it went home for uh, it was spring break and a buddy of mine andrew was going to the alberta college of art and design uh-huh. and i was just talking to him and you know i'm like yeah but you know i really want to graduate with a degree and all he's like well you can get that at acat and that was the first time i'd really thought about it. I'm like, yeah. really he's like yeah so then i started looking at some of the programs and specifically the uh, VC program, Visual Communications. So you'd gradu- graduate with a Bachelor in Design. And that got me thinking like, okay, well, I love a lot of those aspects. It bleeds over from all the design work I've learned. And maybe I'll apply to go there. And you have to take first-year general studies. So working my ass off, getting my portfolio together. Like, I don't have an art portfolio. So right. I had to, like, create one. Right. And, you know, trying to be as creative and out of the box. And I actually, uh, a couple years ago, I read my application essay. And I had one of those moments where I was like, damn, that was actually really well written. <laughs> nice. Like, I'm proud of that. Like, yeah. not looking back going, man, what was I doing? I was, <laughs> How the hell did I get in? I was like, yeah. man, I actually sound like I know what I was talking about. Yeah, nice. So then in my first year, my whole intention was to go into visual communications because that was the aesthetic I liked and the idea and the, um, the learning I wanted to go through. 
And then I saw the photography program and slowly it drew me in, but I was like, I don't want to graduate with BFA. I want a bachelor of design because it's just, it's this thing I have in my head. That's what I want. Right. And suddenly they announced that the next year, the bachelor of uh, fine arts in photography is going to be a bachelor of design in photography that they're switching over and they're bringing it into that part. Perfect. And I was like, (laughs) Ta-da! <laughs> so, you know, bust my balls. And I've been going through the photography course and doing, you know, black and white uh, darkroom printing and loving the whole process. And in the back of my head, the whole time, I'd always liked the idea of becoming a cinematographer or a director. But I saw understanding a single frame being more important than trying to understand a moving one. Right. So to be like, okay, how can I master, quote unquote, this first and get a great understanding and then apply it Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. it i mean now i could look back and say just shut up and go straight into film and you know learn that way but there's a a certain aesthetic that and knowledge that that brought to me and out of school the best thing i learned was how to learn so yeah i mean in in filmmaking there are that's the thing i love about film and the reason i'm a filmmaker is you get to play in so many beautiful areas you know sound visuals actual products being made like every yeah. single industry mm-hmm. is in our industry like how amazing is that so why not want to be a part of it and learn you know all these little bits so i went through school uh for photography always knowing in the back of my head that that's what i wanted to do but then i didn't really actually attack it until a couple of years after i graduated hmm. um after school i started working at veer as a uh, post-production specialist or photoshop monkey okay and you know that's where i was good and i enjoyed it and you know honed my skills that way but you know very comfortable you know it was a great place to work and you know my uh my girlfriend who we went through school together only started dating afterwards my wife now we both worked there then at one point we decided you know what like is calgary for us is working here for us what do we want to do and we moved to toronto oh wow i ended up being a manager of a restaurant there you know and but then at that point, you go, how am I ever going to get to direct a film if I'm not directing anything? Right. So I shot my first short film there. didn't know what I was doing. Wrote something. I was like, okay, how can I just limit and challenge myself? Let's take two people, one location, like one light, like really keep it simple, see if I can tell a story. And, you know, get kind of things together, volunteers here and there. Like even the way I got my cinematographer, that was total like happenstance. Like it was the last day he was working at, or sorry, the last day I was working at the place that I was managing and training and someone had been looking at camera lenses on the computer in the manager's office and I'm busy cashing him out. And he's like, Oh, are you a photographer? I'm like, well, no, this wasn't me looking at this, but actually we start talking Hmm. then He's a cinematographer. Oh my god, amazing! I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to direct my first thing. Do you want to come on? I'm gonna rent a red one. You know, <laughs> or like, let's do this. Nice. And you know, I remember getting on set, and it was, it was a shit show because it was me, two actors, a makeup artist, um, my girlfriend and wife, and the cinematographer. And then it's like, okay, and go. Now what do we do? (laughs) Do that again? (laughs) So it was instant validation as I knew nothing about what I was doing. But uh, it was the first step. And I think that 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 was important. And, you know, taking steps after that. But it was the first time I actually directed something. And it was, I think it was terrible. It's way too long. It's like eight minutes. And it could be like two minutes. What's it called? It's called Q&A. It's on my site. You can go watch it if you want to really sit through. (laughs) Um, But we were actually talking about sound and the lesson I learned. So... We get on set, we're busy shooting, and the XLR cable we have for the boom mic is, I'd say, two feet. 
Oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. Wow. So here I am. Jesse's got this, uh, my DP, he's got this red one that we all didn't realize was as big as it was and as heavy as it was. He's got that on his shoulder and I've got the boom mic connected right in and I'm holding right next to him. But (laughs) if he moves, I move kind of thing. And I'm not even a director at this point. I'm the boom mic operator and doing a horrible job of it. (laughs) So it was quite like the audio was just shit from like the moment the word go. And I go to return all the gear and I'm busy giving everything back. And she's like, uh, we're just missing a 25-foot XLR cable. Oh, no. And I'm like, I didn't have that because I would have sure as shit loved <laughs> yeah, to I have been that. Using that yeah. She's like, well, it says we signed it out. I'm like, Hold on a sec. So I go into the, the rental car, open it up, under the front seat. Oh, there no. There it is. It had slid yeah. off the back oh. seat. Oh, my God. Under there. And I was like the loudest profanity you could uh-huh. have ever heard. <laughs> and walk in, politely give it back to her. Yep. Thank you. Here walk out. <laughs> So then I tried to do a mix of like ADR and, mm. you know, oh, it was brutal. So I have like the utmost respect for anyone that does mm. anything sound related because for to sure. me it's invisible art. Like, Absolutely. And that's why it's so easily forgotten too is because we don't, you know, yeah. it's only, we only notice of it if it's bad. Yeah, exactly. But that was kind of my long-winded path into it. So, I, like I mean... It. If you were to trace it back, I was always playing in like Windows Movie Player. I remember loving Linkin Park and like they had a remix album. So then I was like, I'm going to remix the good video. And like, ah. it's, I think it's their best album. It was the their best remix album, album was yeah. their best album. Because if you listen to their demos, total sidetrack, by the way. Um, if you listen to their demos, uh-huh. their remix album is closer to their demos. And you can tell that when they were getting signed with a label and producing that album, they were told to kind of go a certain right, way. Right, and right. then... When that was, you know, the best-selling album of what, like 2003 or something? Something like that, yeah. When that was the best-selling album, they went and did a remix album for their next album, which everyone was like, really? Like, you've only got one album. Like, (laughs) what are you remixing? uh, But it was awesome. It was phenomenal, right? Like, to this day, I think Mike Shinoda needs to score some movies. I think he'll go very very Trent Reznor on us and, like, blow our minds. I think he would be be amazing (laughs) because... They're all like, especially one step closer in crawling. Like crawling on the remix album is like this epic song mm. that is just beautiful. So I took that and then took the footage from In the End and crawling and paper cut and kind of made. I wish I could find that video. It's probably on my dad's old PC somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and just kind of like having fun, like playing with. You're not really thinking like I'm gonna be a filmmaker, but thinking that I really enjoy this aspect. Interesting. This, this product. What was that mean? That yeah, probably was. That was Matt. So, We're gonna call out Matt on that. <laughs> it was my laptop, not my phone. My phone. <laughs> um, but uh, so Q and A, I see it has a really cool looking poster. Um, and and how long is it? It's eight eight minutes. It's like eight minutes or something, and it goes on for way too long. It's just. You know, as you learn things and you kind of progress, I've really wanted to go back and A, remaster it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes, people. Yeah. Um, remaster it in like 4K because I have all that footage yeah, in right. 4K. Yeah. I'm like, that would be kind of cool to go back and really, you know, get some like good sound design in there. But, you know, the audio is terrible. I don't even know if the one guy acts anymore. You know, it's just I need to learn what I did from it and put it to bed. Yeah. And, right. you know, uh, there's an artist I, I, I love, G Monk. And if you go to his site, it has every bit of work he's ever done like all the way to like the weird flash shit he did which is crazy (laughs) but it's still there he hasn't curated and said okay i'm gonna take that away and you know we don't get an opportunity to look at say like spielberg and scorsese and you know cameron's shorts or their experimental stuff things yeah and i i had a really hard time 
putting anything out there, keeping it there if I wasn't like a thousand percent happy with it. And at the beginning or sorry, the end of last year, I even contemplated like deleting everything, removing it from my site, like really taking everything I've learned and then moving forward. You know, but that's also tough to do because now you've just taken everything that you're building yourself upon and saying it's not worth it anymore. Mm -hmm. So, and Mm -hmm. It's it's a hard battle I have in my own head, you know, not being happy with your own work. And I always want to be working on my best work, which I feel like I have. Right. I've always told myself that, like, if if the thing you make is worse than the last thing you make, then you're doing something wrong. Right. You know, you should always, someone should always look and say that's the best. Like, you look at Ridley Scott right now, The Martian, awesome. But his last, like, three or four movies were shit. Right? Not like, his best, certainly. Like, yeah, yeah. and there was thousand percent potential in there like prometheus could have been this epicness but mm-hmm. i still remember seeing the poster and just going like oh my god that is going to be what movies are about right? right and walking out like what did i just watch right, right? right yeah. and so i want to make sure that in my career that my next movie is always my best movie. Right, right i think that's a good a good thing to strive for um but i think as artists too we always um it's like they say great movies are or your movies never finish it's just abandoned right you hit a deadline and that's it it's delivered and i don't think anyone has ever 100% happy with the movie that they've made and I'm sure every director would love yeah. to go back in time or just go back and remaster something and you know, you know I'm going to play devil's advocate to it because I agree with you but I want to I want to talk about not agreeing with you and <laughs> saying like what if like to me there's certain films that I, I couldn't imagine going back and making better mm. right um, Fight Club I couldn't imagine making that better right like I don't know what aspect of it is is missing right. right like i don't think it needs to be uh regenerationalized is that is that even a word I don't know. We'll, we'll coin it anyways sure. <laughs> i don't think it needs to be updated so that it makes more sense to us now right. I, you know robocop you can see why they remade that there's certain aspects of it that technologically is better now mm-hmm. they you know do you killed think, themselves do, by do, making do, it pg do, but do you think fincher would never want i mean I, I i doubt he would but if you had made fight club that you would never want to go back and and touch it up like i'm sure i, I don't know as that, a director that would, I think that would a be a conversation right? with him right but i i think that there's certain stuff that doesn't need to be touched like what would you fix in saving private ryan what would you like to me a remake has to be to fix something mm. or to make it better in some regard that was physically impossible back then that's why i could see making robocop again but the godfather why the hell would you ever need to remake the godfather right, in right. any capacity mm-hmm. right like nothing about that needs our touch now right star wars a new hope you could remake that as blasphemous as that sounds <laughs> you could because there are aspects mm-hmm. of call it, it episode right? seven <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's that's going to be our post conversation yeah. for sure but there are certain things that I think can warrant a remake and then there's certain things that just don't like they're talking about remaking Jurassic Park like <laughs> Jurassic Park yeah. not Jurassic World 2 which they're already planning because it made bajillions of dollars sure, right. Jurassic Park why yeah. why do you, you already did such a I don't want to say you did a good job because I didn't like Jurassic World but I thought the premise was good because when we were starting um, Hello World I had a conversation with a friend and we were talking about technology and where it's at and like the future and I like the idea that technology becomes disposable, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea that, you know, our iPhones right now, we're like, whatever, I got the latest iPhone or I don't, or it does awesome, amazing stuff. But if I showed that to someone in 1982, they would lose their shit. Of course, yeah. Right? But to us, it's like, whatever. Yours doesn't work. It takes 20 seconds longer. Oh, my God, right? 
And the idea that they took for Jurassic Park when I heard and say Jurassic World to it's like, oh, yeah, it's dinosaurs, whatever. Right. Like we know dinosaurs yeah. exist and it's the theme park and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was smart. It just I felt relied too much on spectacle rather mm-hmm. than story. Mm-hmm. story yeah. Whereas Jurassic Park was still this great story that was around dinosaurs. Right. Right. It wasn't the other way around or trying to be. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and let, let's talk about Jurassic Park uh, in, from a post perspective and mm-hmm. an effects perspective yeah. because it's such a touchstone for that reason. What, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> well, uh, Chris, who I was telling you about, we always say Jurassic Park was made in 1994. Actually, 93, but that's what we would say. Right. Because when you think about us trying to achieve anything in film, that was made over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. What, there is zero excuse, right? Like, it's completely... Like, I can go and make a dinosaur right now right. for my next short film my project whatever i can make it happen and it can look like jurassic park mm-hmm. it's going to take still a lot of work it's still not easy to do but it's ex- exponentially more attainable so yeah jurassic park set a great precedence for that but i think that when it comes to visual effects it should only ever be like when you think about jurassic park i think there are is it what like 11 minutes or not even it's like i think it's minutes. less yeah it's like yeah. eight minutes of cg dinosaurs right right Eight minutes. I'd love to see the total in Jurassic World, right? I think it's probably the whole thing. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, yeah. because that's exactly it. And this takes me on a total side tangent on Steven Spielberg and the credit he gets because I love Spielberg and I think he does tremendous work and I'm not trying to take away from how good a filmmaker he is. Right. But there's certain credit that it bugs me that he gets. Mm-hmm. Number one, Jaws. Jaws set the president. But... Kind of lucked into it. If that robot had worked the way he wanted, we would not have got Jaws. <laughs> this is true, right? right? Yeah. So there's a certain credit. That, and I don't know if even he's admitted it. So I'm not trying to say he hasn't and he's a bad man for that. Sure, sure. I'm just saying that a lot of people will say, oh, Jaws was incredible and Spielberg did this. And yes, in the end, he had to make certain choices and bring it together. And a lot of great choices were made. But if everything went the way that he wanted would we be talking about Jaws in the same capacity? And you're saying that what happened was we saw much less of the shark because We saw it tremendously work. less of the he shark because it just wouldn't work. Right, it just right. wouldn't work. Hmm. It broke, things would right. happen. So now you're stuck with, <laughs> which to us is iconic and beautiful. And, you know, the whole don't show the monster idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But would we have got that if right. the machine just worked? Right. right. Same with Jurassic Park. He wanted to go with animatronics and... Uh, puppets and all of that and even those in the movie are spectacular yeah. and you can't tell the difference it's they're done tremendously well but it was the visual effects team saying i think we can do that and mm-hmm. they went technically behind his back and developed these tests and you know the scene of like the gallimimus and the t-rex yeah. coming in like they made that and said hey by the way oh. look what we can do and then really he came on board. Huh. It wasn't him saying, guys, we're going to change the face of visual effects and <laughs> right. we're going to do this, which is what bugs me. But I mean, he's one of the best filmmakers on the planet. Of There's course. no doubts about yeah. that. But those kinds of things bug me. Like credit where credit's due. Right. And not just like, oh, let's just, your name's the highest on the totem pole. That was your idea. None of the brand name filmmakers do it without a team ever. Oh, they've got so, tremendous I mean, teams behind for sure, them, right? For sure. And especially when it comes to effects. But one thing that I really liked, you know, people were talking about episode seven being much lower on the effects scale. And and I don't think it was. There was a lot. There was a lot of <laughs> Those people. The, 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 the thing I love about visual effects, I mean, I'm assuming we all saw Mad Max, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. And a universal opinion here is it's a great movie. I think so. Agreed. Right. Everyone, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we had to force that out of Scott. And but everyone talked about the practical effects. Did you see the visual effects breakdown for Mad Max? I did. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's nuts. Massive. Yeah. And 
that w- should have been such a big win for visual effects. Be like, look, you're praising it for its practical mm-hmm. effects, which it had, mm-hmm. but look at what we did with visual effects. Right. Right? You didn't even know. That's other right. than physically knowing that a sandstorm of that magnitude and size couldn't mathematically happen and be filmed. Right, right. You didn't know. Right. So to me, that was like, it was so beautiful to see, right? And then when Star Wars Episode Seven started and they talked about how much practical they were doing and everything, you're going to be shooting space battles, right? Like, of course, yeah. <laughs> we did just, it in space. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it it's going to have visual effects. And there's a great little video uh, by Freddie Wong that talks about why visual effects suck, but they actually don't. Yeah, right? I've, I've and shared that a couple that times on Facebook. that was such a beautiful yeah. perspective on like, hey, let's do this in taste you know like Mm -hmm. let's have some taste when it comes to presenting all the stuff because visual effects take us to places that we can't even remotely imagine let alone shoot and it's taken for granted i I totally agree with that i think there's a an unnecessary hate on for quote-unquote visual effects right now bad stuff because it's the bad stuff that you notice yeah and and i think it's been taken advantage of a little bit too much by the michael bays of the world where when you say something's practical, it's like, ooh, it's got this kind of cachet now. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at like any any film now has visual effects that you'll never notice. Oh, yeah. there's a great breakdown, Nightcrawler. Watch the breakdown of visual effects in Nightcrawler. I was like, what? What fucking visual effects are yeah, in Nightcrawler? Yeah. Tons. Ton. And they're, super, they're done super well. <laughs> Zodiac, Fincher's film. Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Like some of the visual effects in that. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. You're like, oh my god, that is a visual effect show. Holy there's a crap. there's a reel that was going around recently for a company that had that was doing and they'd done some Game of Thrones stuff, but they also did Ugly Betty. Oh yeah, that's right. Betty. Dude, you see the one where she walks into yeah. the yeah. That one still blows my mind. She does it, like they they shoot all of it in studio. All of the exteriors are in, it's insane, and it all looks completely legit. But my point is, is it in your mind about the marriage of practical and CG? Is that where I think it's the marriage of the tool to get the job done properly right right? and not to sit there and go okay i want this to be a visual effect shot now how do i make that happen Mm -hmm. saying all right this scene calls for a man floating in space how do i how do i Mm -hmm. film that how do i tell that accurately i was just like the revenants going around right now in terms of everything like whether it's winning awards being amazing but lubeski or chivo said that they were going to film with natural light right and i was like okay well natural light that's a huge challenge give him the oscar cool But why? And I, two hours ago, I didn't know why. Totally. And then I was reading an interview, and the reason being is, or at least in this article, was that the kerosene lamp hadn't even been invented in that time. Uh-huh. So the challenge was to shoot in natural light because that would be more accurate in right. terms of representing what people saw. Interesting. I think that one of the only scenes with lamps, so those are, it's whale oil or something. Mm-hmm. But the idea that it's like, okay, well, here's this thing that you think is gimmicky. Like, oh, I'm going to shoot only natural light. But it's actually for a part of the story, right? right? That you don't even notice. Right. And I think that that's what's important. If it needs to be a visual effect shot, if it needs to be practical, if it needs to be both, why? Like, why is it doing that? Sure. I got into a debate with a friend of mine. We were talking about like certain shots and certain scenes. And you should always, at first I disagreed, but you should always be able to say why you're doing mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, that was, I remember when I was starting my own, try, trying to shoot my own short films and I was talking to a cinematographer and, and his question for me was, what what camera do you want to use? And I'm like, oh, well, this one. And he's like, well, why? Why that one? There are plenty of cameras that can shoot your, your movie. Why are you using that camera in particular? And how does yeah. it serve the story for sure? I, I We like to talk about how the our, our the first camera we, well, the second camera we got was the Canon 5D Mark II and that it shot an episode of uh, House. Yeah. And, but the reason it shot that episode of House was because it was a 
an episode where a building had collapsed and they needed a camera that was small enough, enough and they still, could get up yeah. against walls yeah, for sure exactly so so it's got to have a, it's got to serve a purpose uh, i think i think it's choice. an important question why because the moment you can't answer it you've instantly validated that whatever you think is necessary isn't right right and if even if it gets to a superficial like we think it would be a great shot now at least it's just getting you thinking it's okay like why am i actually showing this why am i showing the back of the actor why am i panning mm-hmm. why is this handheld why 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 right. so that you can get to a point of really knowing everything that you're doing is with intent like mm-hmm. the director should answer every question on set right. and if you don't have the answer go and find the answer yeah. but if if after your film is all said and done and you're sitting there and you're being interviewed about it and someone asks you a question and you don't know why, I think you fail. Right. I, I think because that means you haven't invested enough energy and time and thought and process to this entire thing to justify not having that answer. You need to, you should have it. You should know those characters more than, maybe more than the actor, probably not, but right. You should. You yeah, should just. Yeah. You should know. I think that that's part of it. You're the knowledge base. And I don't think that's necessarily all that hard all the time. I mean, maybe when you bring it down to every little camera move and why is that a choice. But I, for me, it's it's about you're the translator, you're the interpreter for the audience. Mm-hmm. So what is the audience's experience and how does what you're choosing to do yeah. affect them? So that's. I think that's the guiding star is you just got to keep your audience in mind. And I think that's why collaboration is so important um, because if you're doing these things in a vacuum, you just don't ask yourself the why questions or mm-hmm. you don't even know where to start right. with the yeah. why questions, right? So you might not even really think be thinking about what camera you're going to use. You just assume we'll cross that bridge when we get there or why would I move the camera this way? You're not... You're not going there until your why is challenged by someone else's why. Yeah. And I think that's where you start to think about, oh, okay, I guess what is the story actually about mm-hmm. right? in this context? And, yeah. And is, is, which is why you need that collaboration on a, on a film well, set in pers- every department. It's perspective, right? Yeah. Like if you're, if you're the director and you are every other role, not only are you only so much a person that's going to get divided up, but for me to talk to someone who knows sound is going to be better than me assuming and thinking I can know enough about sound or makeup or practicals or visual effects or whatever it is, having that person to just bounce those ideas off of is a fresh perspective, even just from a bare, it's a human mind that is different to your own. And it's going to see things that you might not have or differently. Right. So absolutely. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with storytellers. Mm -hmm. Because even like the focus polar is a critical storyteller in, Mm -hmm. in any show. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So it's, which well, is kind of, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it comes down to, uh, um, I, I hate that you can find endlessly talented people all over the world, but you can't necessarily always find storytellers, no, right? Agree. Like I've worked with composers that are phenomenal musicians, but they can't tell a story. Right. You know, I've worked with photographers and cinematographers that are um, the amazing stuff, but they can't tell the story. Right. So it comes down to that. Why are we doing this? Right. Like, why is this scene going to be like this? As opposed to just like, well, I know my my camera gear, I know lights, man, that shit's gonna look great, but why? But why? So, what did you think of the movie Looper? <laughs> <laughs> I love Looper. Yeah, I mean, I did make a short inspired by it. <laughs> oh, did you? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I loved Looper because I guess I just I like a movie that takes high level ideas and then doesn't focus on the high level idea, right? Like. Right. It didn't take time travel and then say, this is how you time travel. Right. It's just, that's, you can't. It just exists. Right. Yeah. It's like a movie, Her. It's like the singularity, but they're like, they fall in love. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I like when a movie does that because 
to me, it should always become a human story. Like we're humans. We tell stories. That's what connects us to it. And if it's just this thing in the end, then, you know, there's a reason we liked watching Terminator or Back to the Future. Holy shit. Right. Like they were great stories. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, well, that's actually how you time travel. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not an or Inception. Right? How much did right. Inception focus on like totally what they were actually doing? We're just the like device. It's just a device. Yeah. yeah. Like, let's do this. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know how deep you want me to go into to Looper, but <laughs> well, I'm trying to. I, obviously, I'm trying to steer us back towards your second short. <laughs> um, so, what made you do that? Well, I'd seen Looper. Um, I, it had been a while since I directed something that was creatively my own. It'd been a lot of commercial work and things like that. Right. So, you know, I oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, am I jumping ahead? When, when, when did you come back to Calgary? Um, well, I was in Toronto, 2009 to 2010. Then I was in Vancouver for a year. Okay. And, oh wow. Um, then from Vancouver, my wife got a job with WestJet, so we decided ah. to move back to Calgary because we were already kind of contemplating it, and then she'd have to come back for training, and we're like, hey, why don't we just... And is there family here? And... Yeah, there's yeah. tons more family uh, for us here, and uh, it just kind of made sense. And sure. then when I was here, I ended up uh, working with a, ph- a group of photographers that I'd worked with before, freelance basis kind of thing. I called him up and said, hey, I'm going to be coming back to Calgary. We should grab a beer. He's like, well, do you want a job? Nice. He's like, all right then. <laughs> so I became their uh, digital production manager oh, okay. and kind of handled all the post side of things. Uh, I also ended up working at the Apple store at the same time. Ah, so trying cool, to save cool. money to buy a house. And nice. So um, I was working with them and then they ended up splitting up and dissolving that studio. So I was at this kind of halfway point like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Like, do I still have a job? Do I need to work full time at Apple? What right. am I doing? Yeah. Right. And I loved working at Apple. It's one of the best jobs I've ever oh, cool. had. It's an amazing place oh. and group. And it was, I always joked that it was just going to hang out with friends and help people. Right, right, it wasn't yeah. really work. Yeah. But uh, so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And then one of the guys, uh, the guy who kind of originally hired me, his name's Mike Haywood, says, Hey, why don't we open up a studio together? So I said, all right, well, let's do that. Cool. So he focused more on the photography side of stuff. I still handled the post-production, but then I, we were trying to slowly push in towards film. So commercials, corporate, that kind of thing. And, you know, we spent a couple of years doing that. Uh, I did Dawn through that. You know, I did a lot of commercial work through that. But uh, up until recently, probably around June, we decided to shut down the studio and then go freelance and independent on our own. Oh, okay. Just because our paths were going in different directions sure. and as opposed to trying to drag each of us down that path it's like well why don't we just excel on our own and it's been going wonderfully since all right we're going to cut it off there with olaf lots of fun stuff uh talked about there and lots more to talk about um so we're going to split this up into our first two-parter episode um so we're going to have more with olaf uh next week um but for now um you can definitely check him out online uh and He's going to give you all that info next week, but if off the top of my head, it's blmrs.com. Right. Yeah. So it's Blumrus without any of the... Uh, right, right, right. Blumrus? So the- <laughs> Not Blumrus. <laughs> um, and he's on Twitter, and uh, we'll share his info um, online as well. So um, definitely uh, find out more about uh, Olaf. Lots to learn about him. So let's get back into the news you can use for this week. Yeah, this is urgent. Um, urgent news. Rosie's uh, submissions are now being accepted for the Alberta Film and Television Awards. Uh, they are open until January 20th, which is this Wednesday. So if you're sub- considering submitting for uh, a Rosie, get that in presently. Uh, what else mm-hmm, is coming up mm-hmm. quick, Matt? Oh, AFA. Uh, the uh, Of course, twice a year, the AFA deadline comes up. Um, and this time around, it is February 1st. Is it really? It is February 1st. I thought yeah. it was March 1st. 
Uh, it's usually February 1st. <laughs> we probably should know this before we roll. Uh, I don't know what, maybe, you know what? It might be the operating grant. I'm going to have to Yeah, check. it's February 1st for is sure. Is it for yeah. sure? All right, so if you're an individual, it is February 1st. Yes. Um, but if you have an organization, I, I believe it's March 1st. Um, so, but yeah, if you're an individual looking to get some money for uh, writing a film or making a film or, or even researching or educating yourself in film, um, you can find some money through the Alberta Foundation for the Arts. Um, uh, it's certainly a challenging grant to, to be successful with. There's a lot of competition, but, um, you know, do your homework and listen to our podcast with Spencer Estabrooks for some more info on that, uh, as well as our, our podcast, our, our, our blog that you wrote, Scott, um, which we've shared before. So yeah. Yeah. Check it out at fullswingproductions.com and just look in the blog for some tips on uh, being successful with any grant application. For sure. You can get up to $15,000 for a film and video project. So, um, get her done right um call for submissions from m media in calgary um for something called the digital sugar cubed student exhibition the deadline has been extended from january 17th to january 24th um so they describe it as we are currently seeking new or previously made student work that intersects the fields of art and science the interest of the show is to collect hybrid artworks that illustrate the interconnectivity of these two fields our supplying uh, must be studying full-time at a post-secondary institution in calgary Submissions that are accepted will be exhibited in the month of March and will receive $200 remuneration. So um, check them out at media.ca and we'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. Uh, the Calgary International Film Festival is now open for submissions as of January 14th uh, and Edmonton International opens their uh, submissions on February 1st. So if you want to win an Oscar for that short film, get your submissions in. So what's shooting? What's up, Matt? Yeah, Winona Earp is still shooting uh, uh, until February twelfth. Well, what um, is Winona Earp? We've never actually yeah, said what really it is. Yeah, we've never really gone into it. It's a uh, it's a supernatural western based on a graphic novel acquired by Sci-Fi. The Network. The Network. Yes. Uh, Winona Earp's great granddaughter. Wyatt Earp. Sorry, yeah. Wyatt Earp's yeah. great granddaughter uh, battles demons, uh, and it stars Melanie Scrofano, Scrofano yeah. uh, who starred in Being Erica, among other things. Um, and I hear really good things, and it's uh, it's good for the uh, community. Um, yeah, it's sure. fairly it's it's a bit lower budget I think but that's a good thing usually because it means they're using mm-hmm. our community uh, and certainly on the crew side that happens but not as much on the acting side so right. hopefully that means more opportunities for Calgary and, and Alberta actors yeah which I think is going to be an increasing theme this year as Canada's dollar is as weak as it is which right. means it's a lot cheaper to make a movie up in Canada than it is in the States so I think we'll see a lot of service production coming in um, which is great news for our brand new film studio um, indeed but not great news for you and I, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> yeah. Um, because there's going to be a lot of competition for crews, and, mm. and, uh, but it's great news for the industry in general, kind of pumping that money in. Right. Also shooting right now is The Night Pond, um, a Christmas-themed indie feature, shooting in Calgary and area. They're on their third week of filming, and they just announced last week that Will Sasso uh, will be joining the cast. Canadian Will Sasso. Yeah, which is super exciting um, and a pretty awesome get. So congrats, guys, and uh, looking forward to following that shoot as it goes. Yeah, and speaking of podcasts... Well, we weren't, but we're on a podcast. Right. He's got a podcast called the 10 Minute Podcast. So if ours it's is actually too hilarious. Long for you, yeah. yeah. You should listen to the 10 Minute Podcast with Will Sasso. How long is that one? <laughs> Moving on. So uh, screenings coming up. This one is kind of fun. There, the High Performance Rodeo is going on right now. Uh, and there are a few screenings that occur with the festival. But one that kind of sounded interesting to me was a film by New York director Daniel Fish called Eternal. 
And the description of this is uh, Fish assembled a film crew to shoot uh, two actors, Thomas J. Ryan and Christina Rohner, performing the final scene of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in a continuous loop for two hours. Hmm. The only constraint, they must keep going no matter what happens. So Eternal, this is the film, um, is an unedited two-channel video of their performance. So it's, they say Wait, we watch, his, yeah, we watch his two fabulous performers plunge into the pure pleasure of acting, but for the camera evoking the infinite possibilities of this heartbreaking scene of separation with their looks and their gestures, a passionate and very moving love affair and estrangement unfolds an ode to acting that is simple and eternal. Wow. That sounds, it really sounds super weird. Yeah. Super weird and super fun. <laughs> but interesting. Um, yeah. So it's screening on uh, Friday, January 29th and Saturday, January 30th, both at 5 PM. Check out www.hprodeo.ca slash 2016 slash eternal. Um, for more details on that. Fascinating. I actually didn't even know there were screenings at all involved. And I thought it was a purely a, a theater festival. Yeah, I thought uh, maybe this is new. I'm not I'm not too familiar with uh, hmm. how this has happened, but cool. uh, it just sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, and something no that, that I want to check cool. out. Uh, um, and the Calgary International Film Festival, uh, we've mentioned it a couple times before. Don't forget, though, uh, the Oscar party is coming up. Nominations are out now, of course. So uh, gearing up for that on Sunday, February 28th at the Engineered Air Theater. You can check out calgaryfilm.com for details and tickets. So workshops and classes were quiet uh, in December, but they are not quiet anymore. A lot of a lot of groups kicking off workshops um, for yeah. the new year. Um, so for animators, pay attention. Quick Draw Animation Society in Calgary has a ton of winter workshops um, that are starting this week and continuing into next week and so on. Um, workshops such as an intro to After Effects, uh, Young Animators Advanced and Quick Kids, Animation Fundamentals, Experimental Avant-Garde and Analog Animation. So if you're really looking to get into animation, check them out at quickdrawanimation.ca slash events. And Fab has got their screenwriting workshop, screenwriting workshop uh, starting actually tomorrow, January 19th. Uh, there might be still time to sign up if you're super interested, so give them a call at 780-429-1671 to register, and you can check out uh, the link in the show notes or fava.ca for more information. Fama has uh, some more workshops coming up, but they're a little bit later. There's one uh, in February and one in March that we'll talk about in future episodes. Yeah. Um, for actors, pay attention. Um, Chris Craddock, who is a co-creator and showrunner for Tiny Plastic Men up in Edmonton, um, who's a great actor and who just wrote and directed the Alberta feature, It's Not My Fault, um, is hosting a film acting workshop uh, one weekend in Edmonton and one weekend in Calgary. So this weekend workshop provides 12 hours of instruction. Um, and then he has he starts it with an invitation to a mixer the night before so that you can um, build an ensemble feeling amongst the students uh, over snacks and drinks. So it's... Uh, the workshop includes things like an industry chat, including insights on the state of the industry, set etiquette, headshots and resumes, and the ins and outs of low budget production. Um, he'll do a mock audition with training and tips, focus on a monologue, do some scene work, um, and then any edited footage that comes out of it will be made available to students for their reels after the workshop. It's pretty awesome. Sounds pretty great. Uh, it's 375 bucks. Um, the workshop in uh, Edmonton is on February 13th and 14th, uh, and in Calgary, the workshop is February 20th and 21st. So if you're interested in that um, and working with uh, just a fantastic dude, email crado, C-R-A-D-D-O at gmail.com for more info and to sign up. Speaking of workshops for actors uh, and for directors, the uh, Calgary Upstart program is kicking off on February 1st. Uh, and so that we've mentioned before, uh, but it's a really cool um, workshop where you just work two scenes from a movie or, or a TV um, and a director directs the scenes and actors act in them, obviously, but they're actually shot on like a handy cam. Um, and then they're cut together. So you get to see, you know, kind of a rough version of what the scene would look like when it was finished. Um, it exercises the 
the director actor relationship, totally, not totally. as much about cameras and tech mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and just like and yeah, exercise is a great word because it's it, it, those are muscles like anything else, and you gotta you gotta hit the gym working. sometimes. And and uh, remember, we don't get as many opportunities as we'd like uh, in this province, so this is a great way to kind of keep your skills sharp. Um, and if you're an actor or director and you'd like to get involved, you can email calgaryupstart at gmail.com. You got to email by Monday, January 25th for an audition or interview time, and you can check out ampia.org/training/upstart for more information on that. Job calls. Uh, if you're looking as a kind of a post-production animator, um, Critical Mass in Calgary is hiring an associate motion designer um, for an internship. So this internship will provide the opportunity to work closely with the studio team at Critical Mass, which includes producers, directors, video editors, camera operators, and other motion designers. Uh, the associate motion designer intern will be an integral part of each stage of the creative process from conceptualization, storyboarding, shooting, effects, and editing. Um, and you will provide support to the studio team as needed. It is a six-month paid internship. Um, so check out Critical Mass for that if you're kind of trying to get into that side of the industry. Yeah, sounds like a cool opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all for the news you can use. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's wrap things up with a little recommendation. Yeah. Um, I'm on the spot here. I didn't have something prepared. What are you <laughs> What are you thinking? Well, you think while I talk. I exactly, yeah. That's, um, that's my plan. So my recommendation was um, a trick to managing work-life balance. Um, and this came from kind of what happened to Matt and I last week. Um, we worked about 70 hours last week, and uh, maintaining that work-life balance was pretty much impossible. Um, so I was kind of thinking about it last week and how, how one can manage it. And it actually came from a uh, conversation we had with Olaf, um, shortly after we recorded our episode because he's got kids, he's got one kid and another on the way. And, um, he said that having kids really makes you take advantage of your free time, um, where the, the, where mom is out with the kids and suddenly you've got a little bit of free time. And so you power through some work that you need to get done. Um, and he uses quote unquote free time, of course, as time without taking care of kids. Um, and it kind of got me thinking about procrastination um, and how I think that m- managing procrastination is one of the best ways that you can maintain a work-life balance. So if you can f- not be procrastinating, you're going to be more efficient. You're going to enjoy your free time and have time to spend with um, the people that make you happy and that help you maintain that balance um, yeah, because you're not under the gun. Yeah, it really rang true for me as well. Like just, you know, make make the best possible use of your time when, when you yeah. have it. Um, and it comes it comes with foresight. Really, right? Knowing when you're going to be busy and and doing things beforehand to make yourself more efficient because then when you do need to stop working, uh, you don't have a ton that's piled up on your plate. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's, of course, a million reasons not to procrastinate, but uh, health and happiness are, are big ones. So. I'm going to recommend uh, the, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of dumb, but honestly, I love it. It's, it's uh, if you're a Mac user and an iOS user, uh, the, the iCloud um, feature. If you don't use it, I highly recommend it. And and again, making the best use of your time, the only way to do that for me is having a schedule. If you don't have a schedule, uh, you've got no plan. It's a bit like not having a monthly budget. You're just spending your time and spending your money on whatever and hope that you it all works out in the end. When you plan it all out, you can be like, oh, this is going to be, you know for a fact, like, oh, this is the only time I'm going to have to play Skyrim and that's it and so I better make the best use of that too that's an interesting byproduct is mm-hmm. making the best use of your uh, enjoyed time as right. well and that's, so, that's actually that is a great recommendation because it it's a way to create a to-do list in everything that you use every day so I know you and I both use our emails mm-hmm. as our to-do as well as our calendars yeah. as our to-do as yeah. well as Basecamp uh, which will be a recommendation <laughs> on a different day yeah. so we have three different to-do lists kind of keeping us on task mm-hmm. and on track but uh, 
Um, and the other thing that I love about the latest version of, of iCal is that you can put in an address and iCal will actually take a look at traffic in your area and say, oh, it's going to take you 12 minutes to get there. And then if there's like a car accident or something and, and you, you got to go, it'll be like, oh, by the way, it's actually going to take 42 minutes to get there now. It just it just lets you know it's pretty sweet for for android google has a service called google now okay which um t i think it kind of takes it to the next level where it actually um gotcha. tracks your life patterns and so it knows that you usually leave work yeah. at about five o'clock yeah. and yeah. it says hey just so you know when you leave work right now you're gonna hit some traffic on it's the way home it's a little home. creepy yeah yeah it's, it is kind of it is yeah. creepy but helpful i mean the iphone does it too it'll be it'll yeah. just be like by the way it'll take you 12 minutes to get home right now like, okay. okay thanks <laughs> thanks my phone yeah uh that's a cool that's a great recommendation yeah yeah I, I i i couldn't work without it it's it's super important so check us out next week uh when we finish the interview with yeah, olaf blomaris yeah um and if we got anything wrong in this or if we missed something that's uh, important to you that you want to share with the alberta filmmaking community please do let us know yes um or of course if you have an idea for the podcast or if you want to get on um we've had some more requests and uh, we're going to try to get everyone on but uh please do give us a shout. How can they reach us, Matt? Hello at abfilmcast.ca or you can shoot us a message on Twitter or uh, Facebook um, and we would love to hear from you. The other thing that we've kind of not been talking about is SoundCloud. Um, if you're not in the Apple universe uh, and or iTunes isn't your thing, um, you can always go to soundcloud.com slash abfilmcast. Um, you can listen to us right on your browser right there and um yeah we shouldn't hide that no we'll be doing yeah. more to share soundcloud now yeah, anyway. soundcloud's yeah. a great place uh so uh yeah you can check it out there and there's you know like and favorite and follow us on there if you're if you're up for it um thanks uh to nick haywood who seems to be the only one who does that <laughs> but he's uh he's definitely uh listening on soundcloud so uh thanks for listening everybody and now go make, make something, something.